title of our series is, Hey God, Do You Have a Minute? And I've been talking the last few weeks about prayer. I'm going to continue to talk about prayer. Our text is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to begin in the ninth verse and reading down through the 13th verse. Jesus is speaking. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know, in this particular setting, Jesus teaching on prayer is the result of the disciples asking him to do so. They asked the Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus said, this is the way you pray. This is how You're going to connect with God as a father. And as I stated earlier, this was a brand new concept to connect with God and to relate to him, to commune and fellowship with him as a father. They had always known God as as someone who was distant, that maybe the priest would talk to God on behalf of the people, maybe Moses or Abraham or Daniel or Elijah, someone much more holier than them. Maybe God would use Ruth or Esther, but... No, Jesus broke it down and he says, no, when you pray, when you pray, see, they wanted that relationship and every human being on this earth wants to connect with the Lord. It's, it's a desire that's within them because eternity is in their heart, but some of them just don't know how, and that's the value of teaching. People can only rise to the level that they're taught and the disciples knew this principle. And so they ask a question, you know, they stepped out of their comfort zone, and they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And the Lord graciously said, absolutely. He was just waiting for that invitation so that he could give them instruction. And he said, this is how I want you to pray. And there's there's protocol in this prayer. I want you to understand that it's not rigid, it's not legalism. Jesus didn't come to bring another aspect of the law. Jesus came that we could have life and life more abundantly. Apparently, the disciples saw that Jesus' relationship with the Father was a life-giving relationship. And who doesn't want a better quality of life? Who doesn't want more life? Who doesn't want the best of life? And people go to all kinds of ways to try to improve their life, their quality of life. And But Jesus said, when you develop a prayer life, your quality of life is going to increase. You're going to be the benefactor. So he said, all right, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the beginning of the protocol that we come to the Father in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, up until this time, you have asked nothing in my name. But from this time forward, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. So when we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the way to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through the Son. So we have found an audience with the Father because we have accepted His Son as our Savior and Lord. And he who has the Son has life. We have the life of God in us now, eternal life. And that's not just one day in heaven. That is the life of God that resides in your spirit by the Holy Spirit right now. Jesus didn't come that you may have Life in heaven, he came that you can have life and life more abundantly here on the earth. And one day, like life in heaven is going to be exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. So he introduces them to the Father. And 
they began to consider conversing with God as a father, as an Abba, as someone who was dear to them. And he said, the first step that we need to take is one of reverence and honor and to hallowed his name. I, I think we understand that if you go into certain settings where people of prominence or power or dignitaries are or people that we respect, there's a, there's a sense of admiration in that environment and we, sh- we act accordingly. We behave according to the audience in which we are interacting. So if you were in the office of someone who has tremendous weight and power and authority, you just don't walk in there and sit down in the chair and put your feet on his desk and say, hey, yo, yo, what's happening over there on your side of the desk? I mean, they're going to escort you out of their office. And too many times the church has become so familiar with the father that they forget to hallow and reverence and remember that he's a holy and pure and a righteous God. Does that make sense? You'll, you'll find books like uh, Three Easy Steps to Prayer, or, you know, Seven Steps to, you know, uh, Connecting with God. And, and there's no steps to it. Let's just, let's really break it down. There's no steps to it. There's only a journey that you need to walk through with God. And it becomes progressively better. Because if there were three steps or seven steps, Jesus would have said, here's three easy steps to connect with the Father. He, he would have answered the question in that way, wouldn't he? I, I'm Correct? If we ask Jesus, Jesus teaches how to pray. Here's seven steps. He would have given us seven steps. Now, I think there's principles that we can bring out in the Word of God, but he's saying, come on. If you want to have what I have and you want to have that that confidence and that life that you're seeing in me, in you, then first of all, let's approach the Father respectfully, reverently. Let's do it in a way that he's honored, that he's hallowed. Don't become so light or so casual that it loses its weightiness and its meaning. Now, the weightiness doesn't mean it's a burden, but... I know when I've had certain appointments or I've been, you know, signed up for an interview and the conversation I'm about to have with someone matters, I prepare for it. I prepare for that conversation. And I think preparation is part of what helps us to connect with God, to be quiet, to be still, to reverence Him, to wait before Him. Now, I know that there are times where we're in a desperate situation and the greatest prayer we could pray is help. And we say it often and we're going to read about that here in a minute. But I think a majority of the time, if we are walking with God consistently, then we have a time and a place that we are carving out in our day to meet with him. If the only time we converse with the Lord is when we need something or want something, then we need to rethink our relationship with Him. And we need to consider that He gives us everything that we need every day, including a part of His time. That His ear is open to our prayer. We talk about us giving time to God, but consider, He gives His time to all of His kids freely. And all of them can come. And He welcomes them all and calls them all by name. So sometimes we look at it sometimes from our perspective, consider how gracious he is that whenever we call, he comes. 
Whenever we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we have the Father's ear. Think about how patient and merciful he is towards us. That he doesn't put a lot of qualifiers. I'll listen to you when and if. He just says, no, when you come. And so I encourage us to come often. So let's define temptation. Because when we skip down to verse 13 and we look at Jesus teaching us how to pray. He says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I find that to be like two sides of one coin. When he says this, first of all, pray to the Father, lead me around temptation. Would you help me today by guiding my steps around trouble, around temptations, around those things that are trying to allure me or pull me in to do things that I know in my heart I should not do? And then he couples that with and deliver me from the evil one. So that tells me two things. One is that there's times that God leads us around trouble and there's other times he takes us out of trouble. And if you sit down and you really consider what Jesus is asking us to ask the Father, what he's saying is there's times that trouble because of the tempter, the evil one, he's going to try to take you out through a temptation that's maybe greater than your maturity level or greater than your level of faith. And at that moment, God is gracious and steps in and leads you around that temptation. And we're going to discover why here in a minute. But there's other times that you and I are tempted And the Lord delivers us out of that temptation that the evil one is bringing into our life. Because just as good as God is, the enemy is just as dark and just as evil. And they're not equal. Light always overcomes darkness. But as far as their pursuit of mankind and desire, the Lord's desire to help us, well, just reverse that is also the devil's desire to destroy us. And so we're going to learn a little bit about temptation, and we're going to learn a little bit about how God leads us out of temptation. Then I'm going to spend the remainder of my time talking about deliverance and how God delivers us from the evil one. Everybody say, I'm ready. So temptation, let me give you a definition. It's when the tempter or the evil one or our own carnal desires endeavor to lure, entice, seduce, or bait us to do something that we know is wrong, evil, or unwise. We're all aware that lying, stealing, cursing, the misuse of one's position or power is inappropriate. We also are aware that there are sexual temptations and at times we're tempted to commit idolatry, where we put something ahead of the Lord in our life, murder, complaining, grumbling, all of these things are different forms of temptation. But here is some counsel and insight from God's word about temptation. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Everybody say, don't blame God. Well, the enemy wants us to do that. But James is saying, 
when you're tempted, right, when that moment occurs, don't say God's behind it. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Now, here's how temptation tries to allure us or pull us in. When he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Then in 1 Corinthians 10.13, we learn that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. Notice the next phrase, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Why? That you may be able to bear it or endure it. And the word endure there means with strength and at the end with a good attitude. It's not moaning and groaning and kicking and griping. It's not like, oh, if I can just hold on and hold out to the end. God shows up because he's faithful. He actually undergirds us in that moment of temptation. He opens up a way of escape and he strengthens us so that we can bear up anything that the evil one's trying to throw at us. God will not allow the enemy to beat you down or to wear you out, but we have to choose his way of escape. And if we don't, we can become weary, beat down, and deceived. We have to be careful. So we, the Lord is there to build us up. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41. Now, these are just some insights from God's word, once again, about the subject matter of temptation. Jesus said, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but notice the problem. The flesh is weak. So what he's saying is the remedy for you giving into the weakness of the flesh is pray. Because when you pray, you're built up in the spirit. The spirit is willing in your heart and in my heart where the spirit of God abides. There is a want to to do the will of God. But there's also the will of the flesh, the weakness of the flesh that has its own set of agendas and desires. And the way that you overcome those weaknesses is when you pray, watch and pray, be watchful, be observant. And and the word watch there is like proactive, be alert. Just don't go through it like you go through the motions. I mean, be watchful, be attentive, pay attention and then pray, pay attention to what's going on and pray. Be aware of your environment and pray. Be aware of the tempter and the evil one and pray. Because your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But no temptation is going to overtake you, but is common to man. And no temptation is greater than the faith that you have residing in your heart. And with every temptation, there's always a way of escape. And God has called us to overcome, not to be over. So temptation is a real thing. Here's some truths about temptation. We all have them. Everyone is tempted. Sometimes by the evil one, sometimes when we're lured away by our own carnal or selfish impulses or desires. You know, God didn't call us to get in debt. There's a great example. But sometimes 
what pulls on us is the desire to have something prematurely. So in order to have it prematurely, you have to finance it, sometimes on fantastic plastic, which isn't sometimes fantastic, because after a while, you may have the possession that you wanted, but you also pay a price to have it. And if you're not able to take care or finance your own debt, then you become in bondage. Because it's really not yours, it's somebody else's. But we're all tempted to go somewhere because things are shiny and new. Sometimes we have things that are bland and old, and we want to trade in the bland and old for the shiny and new. And if it's time for an upgrade, right, stay in step with the amount of faith that you have. Purchase wisely. Don't be baited. Don't be lured in. I mean, some people, I mean, money burns a hole in their pocket. And someone needs to cut the pockets out of their britches or catch their hand on fire. Someone needs to tell them, you're putting us in a perilous position because we can't finance our debt. And we act like we have a great quality of life until the middle or the end of the month when we have to pay all our creditors. Amen. I could get a lot more personal than that, but I think that's apropos for the moment. Everybody say, thank you, Pastor. (laughs) Amen. You're welcome. All right, number two, truth about temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Some people feel like, man, I'm being tempted left and right, and when I go out the door, I'm tempted. Here's here's what, what Job said when it came to making sure that his eyes weren't wandering at another man's wife or another man's woman. Don't look at another man's woman. He said, I'll make a covenant. I'm coming into covenant with my own eyes that I will not look at a woman with lust. And and for men, we're drawn. The eye gate is, is what attracts us to things. People or stuff. Right? Houses or lands, boats or cars, clothes or people. And the enemy knows that. So he's, he's trying to bait us or lure us and entice us through the eye gate. And Jesus said, keep your eyes single. Don't allow your affections to be divided. Scripture also says to men, rejoice in the wife of your youth. To singles, it says... You're not half a person looking for your other half. You're a whole person one day giving yourself wholly to another person. When Charlene and I got married, right, I was a whole person, she was a whole person, and two whole healthy people giving themselves to one another make for a healthy marriage. Now, we have gaps and we have weaknesses and we have maturity issues. And so through our 30 years of marriage, we have grown and we have polished one another. And there's some rough places in my life where she came along and through her presence and through she was as a person, counsels, encourages, and blesses me. And hopefully I've done the same for her. And we've developed that that relationship, that trust relationship. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful with our eyes. Ladies, you have to guard your emotions. 
You have to guard your emotions because your, your emotions lead to reactions as far as decisions go. And the enemy knows that women are subjective. And so he baits or lures you accordingly. Now, what was my main point? It's not a sin to be tempted. Everyone is tempted. That was my first point. But in that moment, we have to begin to look to the Lord. We have to remember who is faithful. We have to start finding a way of escape. Because if not, it will pull us into sin. And sin ends up producing death or separation. So the man that begins to look and lust at another man's wife or just another woman ends up being separated and destroying his marriage because that will lead to actions. It will entice him. It will pull him in. And pretty soon he didn't know how he got there. Well, he got there because he didn't do something with his longing eyes. That's why the Bible says, be careful what you look at. We behold what we become. We behold what we become. All right. Truth about temptation number three. We are not tempted beyond our maturity or our ability to overcome the temptation. The reason this is so true is because God is faithful. God is right there. That's why prayer is so powerful. Because he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Boy, temptation can be troubling. Feel like you're getting hit. You're getting smacked. You're being presented. Number four, God makes sure he provides a way of escape. This is how he leads us around temptations that the evil one is presenting unto us. When we pray, we actually open up an avenue for God's spirit to begin to be involved in leading us around temptation. But if we don't pray and we don't converse with the father, then we're we're left to fight this battle in the flesh. And that's not going to happen because the flesh is weak. We're not going to get victory that way. So this is how our Heavenly Father leads us around temptation. Everybody say, by His Spirit. So when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, and He said, right, lead us, lead us, not into temptation. What He's saying, and what you and I are actually saying is, God, lead me by Your Spirit. That you are now the temple, I am now the temple or the house of the Holy Spirit. He resides within us. Scripture says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is going to lead us around temptation. God's Spirit, the Spirit of truth, brings things to our remembrance. This is how He does it. And what would be that? The truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit prompts us by the inward witness. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. So you can be in the midst of a a bunch of people that are gossiping and you're tempted to jump into the conversation because you have a juicy morsel on somebody. But God's spirit at that moment of temptation, if you've been praying, lead me around temptation, will say, huh, quiet, be slow to speak. The tongue of the wise is health. Don't share that juicy morsel because it can make somebody else's life sour. 
So he's going to bring things to our remembrance. He's going to prompt us by the inward witness. You're going to have an inward knowing like, nah, I'm not, I, nah, I shouldn't go down that road conversationally. There's certain environments that you're in and you can, you can see how it's being set up, you know, where it's not going to be a good scenario. And you have to be careful at that moment. It can happen in the office. There's a lot of pressure to perform in the marketplace today, to produce, to perform. And there's people that are believers and they're caving into like social drinking. People that at one time said, you know, that's just not even a part of who I want to be or how I want to reflect my faith. But because of pressure from an environment, it even, even happens with kids influencing parents today. Come on, it's just, it's just one, it's just this, it's no big deal. You're not getting drunk yet. Because everything that either God has or the devil has, has a pull on it. And if you overcome evil by doing good, you're going to have a propensity to be pulled by good. But if you keep letting evil overcome you, you're going to have a propensity to give into the flesh and to somehow spin it like it's okay. I want to share with you something that's very sobering since I'm talking about drinking is while you say you can have one or two and you can stop, you don't know who's watching you who if they have one, they can never stop. And scripture said that's a stumbling block. And to post it on social media as a Christian, to me, is a slap in the face of Jesus. I told you I wasn't going to get closer to the vest, but I lied. And let me say this, that there is freedom and there's help for everyone who's hurting. And Jesus loves everyone, whether they're an alcoholic or whether they're, you know, walking on water. He's for us all. But there are certain things that the enemy presents as acceptable, and God said, hey, that's a slippery slope. Scripture says, avoid the very appearance of evil. I mean, that's a high standard. Now, that's not legalism. It's not legalism. It's life. It's life when you're governed by the Spirit of God and you say, I don't need that to feel accepted, to belong, to take the edge off, to get rid of the stress, to find companionship. I don't need that. I have all of those things in Christ. He does the same thing with, you know, anything that's that's harmful to your physical body, like drugs or mind-altering pharmaceuticals. Can I get a holy amen? Amen. God cares about every aspect of our life. So the the challenge, the challenge to us is sometimes not how we handle it, but how we project Christ through it. Because I know people, I have friends, listen to me. I traveled with 25 other guys for years playing baseball at all different levels. And I can tell you that I have friends that are struggling with alcohol addiction today because someone took them to the bar and said, we're just going to go play pool and have a few time, a good time. And the next thing you know, you know, they're sitting there in that environment and someone hands them a beer and they feel overwhelmed to participate. That if they don't, they're the oddball. But the moment that they stepped over that line, they drank and drank and drank and drank and drank. 
I used to go get some of my friends out of the taverns, especially the night that I was, or the, the next day when I was pitching. <laughs> I wanted a sober infield or one that didn't have a hangover. And, and listen, I understand there's various temptations. I, I'm just hitting on one. I mean, I could talk about gossip. The sins of the tongue are worse than sometimes the sins of other things, right? The sins of having a critical or condescending attitude. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's just as repulsive. But I'm just landing here as an example. So, you know, please don't get your panties in a wad. Online, don't turn me off right now. Is that fair? Right. I'm just using it to say anything that has a stronger grip on you than Christ needs to lose its grip. If it has calling power and it's pulling you back that way and then it creates regret and remorse and guilt and condemnation, you know that it's not healthy. So the inward witness is saying, hey, avoid it. It just doesn't satisfy. Sometimes God speaks to us in our heart and and we hear like, this is the way, walk in it. Have, have you ever been in those moments and the temptation, the tempter is there or your own natural desires and wow, this is, no, this is, don't go this way, go this way. That's the way of escape, choose it. Godly desires that bring him glory is what we should be seeking. So what is God's spirit stirring in you? He's stirring in you things that are good and pure and lovely and of good report, things that are noble. So what is God's spirit stirring in you? What is God calling you to do that is greater than the temptation? Because good overcomes evil. What's the good? If you find yourself doing good, you're not going to be finding yourself behaving in evil ways. So what's some good that you can do? Who's he? What's he put in your heart? What's he stirring you to? What awakens you? What excites you? Right. Those are the things that we need to be developing. That'll help us to get away from temptation. One of the most dangerous places to be, and I'm going to segue out of this now. Is that okay? One of the best and place, the worst places to be, I mean, as a Christian, is bored. Oh, boy, when you're just... Just saying, well, it's just same old, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. We need to have a new perspective and a new encounter and experience with God. Because his mercies are new every morning. And then it says this, great is your faithfulness. You thought God was good yesterday. What about today? Do you have your expectations out there that something good can happen today? Something good because his mercies are new today? That he's faithful today? That's where we need to be as believers. And then when something shows up that's not good, that doesn't reflect the grace or the glory of God, we can identify it as a temptation and we can move away from it. Living our life is not trying not to do evil things. Living our life is trusting God to do the right thing. So many people think, you know, well, Righteousness is not just just about not doing what's wrong. If you try to live the rest of your life trying to not do what's wrong, you're going to have a very, very sorry life. But if you pursue what's right 
and what's good and what's just, you're going to have a full and a fulfilling and a fruitful life. It's really, you know, Christianity is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about God's spirit interacting with us and helping us. It's awesome. All right. So God is encouraging us. Let me talk about deliverance for a minute. Deliverance. Deliverance means to rescue or to set free from bondage, peril, danger that comes from the evil one or from the kingdom of darkness. It is our Heavenly Father's heart or desire to set us free from all physical, emotional, and spiritual bondages or strongholds. Deliverance is a daily decision to depend, to trust, and rely upon the Lord. I have a friend that um, we've reconnected through social media. He started watching Monday Minutes and he got in touch with me and he said, wow, I really like what I was hearing. And as a result, he and his family started going to church. And, and I met with him uh, uh, this, uh, two times ago when I went back home to see my mom. And uh, so we started getting reacquainted. And uh, in, in our in our conversations he was talking about some of the struggles that he personally was having with temptations. And what I could promise him is I said, you overcome day by day. You make a, a quality decision today, I'm going to serve the Lord. Today, I'm going to do my best to walk in his will. Today, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. If you try to get too far into the future... You get ahead of yourself and you can let pride as a subtle slope. It can sneak in and you think, I got this. I'll never have trouble with it again. And the scripture says, be careful those that think they stand lest they fall. So when it comes to deliverance, what I'm saying is just like I depend on the Lord for my daily bread, I depend on him to lead me every day and to deliver me every day. Because every day there's going to be opportunities for him to guide me as well as for him to deliver me. Get me out of that situation. I need you to rescue me. I need you to set me free from this. And he comes and he does it. So, you know, for anyone who struggled, for men who have struggled with, or women with lust or pornography, you know, that has led to tear down your self-esteem or to degrade other human beings or to put them into a, a classification where they become uh, a prize or a possession or a toy, then you know that's a dangerous slope. Because it, it, it will ruin someone's self-esteem and it will crush and it will kill any healthy relationship. But there's help because there's deliverance. How does it manifest? You know, when you pray every day, we pray for forgiveness. I need forgiveness every day. Let's just be real. I need forgiveness every day. I need daily bread every day. I need God's Spirit to help me every day to guide me. I need him to deliver me day by day. Jesus didn't say, you know, just pray this one time and then it's a, just don't you know, pray it in your church setting. Pray it by rote. No, he's saying this relationship that you have is ongoing and growing. And the farther day by day that you walk with God, the farther re- removed we get from evil and the evil one. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 
828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.